who has guns? Who is allowed to shoot back? Currently, under state law and our current policies, only licensed registered peace officers are armed on our campuses. And we have two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very, it's controversial. I have no idea what the right answer is. I, yeah, I see it both ways. I don't want you know, teachers with guns, but then sometimes right. you think, God, if they had one. But the idea is about prevention, obviously, right? We want to prevent this terrible thing from happening. We want to prevent you know, students from hurting themselves or, or one another. Welcome to the Eans Parents United podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Silva. Join me for meaningful conversations and timely information about Eans School District. It's past, present, and where we all hope, for the good of our children, it's heading. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me. In today's episode, we are doing a follow-up show to last night's town hall meeting about safety and security of our children. Joining me are two very special guests, Miss Molly May. She is the Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum Instruction and Assessment, and Mr. Jeremy Trimble, who you met on our season opener with Dr. Arnett. He is the Assistant Superintendent for Operations and Planning. Molly sits over all of the counselors and psychosocial therapist folks that we have on staff. And Jeremy is in charge of all the physical security of all of our campuses and students. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I think you'll find it very, very interesting. Thank you for joining me, uh, Molly May and uh, Jeremy Trimble. I appreciate you folks being here at the podcast. We're here talking about the safety town hall that we had last night. Uh, One of the commitments we made to uh, the school and uh, Dr. Arnett was that we would um, follow his new communication series that he's developed this year called CAFE, which was um, conversations, conversations about further excellence, furthering excellence. Yes, sir. Okay. you guys are supposed to know that right at the top of your head. So he's going to hear this and know that you didn't know what it is. So he's not doing a very good job of, you knew it, right? I, <laughs> Molly? Didn't, I didn't know if you wanted the support there. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's not about supporting me. It's about supporting your boss. Uh, right. Yes, yeah, we, yeah. we both knew that. You both knew exactly yeah. what it was. Okay. Well, we had uh, last night the um, town hall about uh, safety, safety of our children. Uh, I, th- I was... Uh, very encouraged by it. I was, um, there was something we think what you set the chairs for 80 people. We certainly had enough people to fill every chair in there. I thought it was, uh, you know, kind of an unprecedented event. I've, I've had two students in the district now for about, uh, eight years. And this is the first time that I'm aware of the school asking parents to come into a room and talk and ask questions as opposed to, uh, the kind of soup du jour, at board meetings and parents are talking to, you know, they can't talk back. So this was a great two-way dialogue. I thought it was very sincere, uh, very authentic. I had a range of emotions as a parent. Some of it was, um, wow. Um, I had no idea that there were so many mental services available in our district. And so uh, Miss May, can I call you Molly? You may, yes. Okay. You may. That actually worked. Pun, pun intended. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. yes. I thought I'd ask you first, why am I just now hearing about this for the first time? I, I had no idea 
that there were so many people on staff providing uh, these types of services to uh, our children. Why am I just learning about that now? Yeah, um, I'm. It's unfortunate that 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 was a situation for some parents. We've definitely had these services available. I think one of the things that we need to do as a district is really do more of these types of events and promote what services that we offer for students. I will say that I think prior to the pandemic, maybe the focus was not as much on mental health and mental illness, and people weren't quite paying as much of attention. Mm -hmm. And so I think now with it being really in the forefront of, you know, every news story or many news stories, I think people are really more interested now. And um, it's just up to us as a district to get that information out. But we've we've been doing a lot of this for for many, many years. Um, And some of our parents definitely are well aware. They've taken advantage of it. But to your point, it needs to be out there more in the community. In the green room, before we came into the recording studio, we were out front talking. And I uh, brought up the fact, do you know how many emails I get from teachers and individual schools and the principals every darn day? How in the heck? I thought, you know what? We've we got to do it the old-fashioned way. We have to do what we did last night in a room where everyone's just sitting there and talking because you, you can't possibly uh, be effective communicating over the normal channels that are just so polluted with everything else that's going on. I agree. Yeah. As I was uh, listening to your staff or you and, and some of your staff talk, it almost felt like there is a clinic like a mental health clinic inside the school district, it probably doesn't see itself as an entity uh, and doesn't see itself as an organ of the district, but it felt that way. When you hear that, does that make you feel good or does it, have you looked at it from that perspective on the looking out from outside in? You know, I never really have. Um, Just for us, it's part of what we do as, you know, as the services we offer to students. So I haven't ever thought of it like that. I don't mind that that was your perspective of that. That's this kind of organism or, you know, entity that's within the school district providing these services. Mm -hmm. For us, it's, it's a layer versus something sort of separate or different. It's just a layer of services that we offer for students. Just from a staffing standpoint, how many people do we have and where are they distributed to and kind of there's there's two sort of central roles there's kind of the mental side and then there's kind of the academic counseling side can you give the parents what that looks like absolutely so um by state law we're required to have a a school counselor so that's kind of what i think most people traditionally think of maybe when they went to school as their as their school counselor should i take algebra next year right i've got too many classes how do i get to pe and at the elementary level it was kind of those maybe those guidance lessons that you would have done and so we still have those those school counselors importantly to note that they still do offer mental health services and can at any time but their role is a little different and then in eans we have the ability or we're fortunate to have what we call school-based therapists so those are either social workers or licensed professional counselors who provide more of that mental health support that's their background that's their training or their certification we do also have through the special education department licensed specialists in school psychology mm-hmm. they are also mental health professionals um, do a lot of evaluation or do the evaluations for special education students so each elementary school has a school 
has a school counselor. They have mm-hmm. a part-time school-based therapist, and they have an LSSP. The middle schools each have three. What's an LSSP? That's the licensed specialist oh, okay. in school psychology. Thank you. Um, the, LM, the middle schools have three school counselors, and those are they take them by grade level, so a sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And then they have a half-time school-based therapist. And the high school has two-and-a-half school-based therapists and I believe it's six school counselors. And then they also have three LSSPs. So if I'm if my head is adding this up correctly, you have 11, 11 staff between um, counselors. No, 13 between counselors and licensed uh, mental health therapist type. So there's six elementary, so six, six counselors at school, the school counselors at mm-hmm. the middle schools, and then three school-based therapists. So that's nine. Mm-hmm. And then they each have an LSSP. So that's 12 just at the elementary level. Okay. And then at the middle schools, there's the six counselors, one school-based therapist, two LSSPs. 21. <laughs> and at the high school, two and a half school-based therapists, three LSSPs, and then the six counselors. 26 and a half. 33 and a half. Somewhere around Where does the half person sit? I want to see this. (laughs) Is it the upper half or the lower half? (laughs) And um, you're you're providing services uh, to students, teachers, staff, which I was surprised uh, to hear. It makes sense. You know, teachers have uh, needs too. Is there any chance you offer uh, marriage counseling. We do not. <laughs> oh, darn it. Jeremy, what do you think? Well, Save me a few bucks. I don't know. We've been in some meetings before where, um, you know, we've definitely helped try, support families. Trying to, get, trying to get a return on my tax dollars <laughs> so my kids don't ride his buses and now I can't get marriage counseling. You may not know what your budget is as we sit here. Maybe we can talk about that another time. But it's obviously with that many people, it's substantial. Yes. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. How much of your staff or how much money of that budget is provided to you by EEF that you're aware of? So EEF's funding mechanism, and a lot of times people have a different perception, the money actually comes to the general fund. And so then that money is used to support all of our staff. So it's so directly, it's not like if we didn't raise a certain amount of money, they would cut a position mm-hmm. per se. So I would say the generosity that we receive from families through EAF definitely funds positions, but it's not specific to say that EEF funding specifically goes to this position. Gotcha. Because I know, I know EEF says we fund teachers. They just don't only fund teachers. They're funding your, some of your staff in some way. You don't know. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And, they definitely are funding. Are they funding any of your staff, Jeremy? Are you aware of EEF? No. Not that you're aware of, yeah. Or that you know for sure, no. Not that I'm aware of. I yeah. don't believe we have any staff operationally. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, with the budget situation that we have, obviously we're super dependent now on EEF like we've never been before. It used to be a nice to have, and now it's a, a need to have. Molly, how do you know when you're successful, your department? Yeah, for us, you know, individually for students, you see you see that success. You see students who are able to cope with a situation that's been stressful in their life. They're able to, you know, work through through some issues. 
Also, we do provide a lot of family support. And so being knowing that we're successful there is connecting a family maybe with an outside agency or an outside resource that they didn't know was available. Sometimes our families really come to us in, in crisis. And if we can connect them with someone that can help, that's that's a win for us. We're not able to provide all the services. We have students with really significant mental health needs. And our job is not to be that ultimate resource if they mm-hmm. if they need significant or intensive care but we do have a lot of connections and can provide those resources to families so helping individual students and helping our families is when we know we're successful yeah i'm you've left me with that impression after talking to you that you we really shouldn't see what you are doing as a counselor or a therapist with a couch in their office and my students sitting there having therapy sessions that's not what's going on you really are there to prevent crises, uh, turn children and families toward the resources that are outside of the school, and you know where all those resources are. So uh, as a parent, if I'm facing a difficult bereavement, you know, loss of a family member, or there is a drug abuse problem in the family or something like that, those aren't services that you're providing, but you know who provides them, and I don't have to do a Google search and guess whether this is someone that has a reputation. That's that's a big service that you're providing that parents may not know about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they, I mean, is it, they can call you just through the website and, and privately, confidentially, obviously, and you, you're doing this on a routine basis, helping people connect with other resources they may not know is there. Yeah, definitely. At every level, we have our parents reaching out about, you know, any any particular, you know, issue that they're having. And they can reach out to either, you know, the school-based therapist or the, the counselor and the LSSP and get information to mm-hmm. get support. So when we think about the context of that town hall last night, it was about safety. And, you know, safety, I think top of mind is going to be our kids getting killed or something terrible happening to our children. But the district put mental and physical safety in the same room last night. Maybe, Jeremy, where are these two connected? You know, where is the nexus of why these coexist? Because I can see where mental health is identifying students inside of our population that may hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. And your job is really about more external threat, but they have to cross somewhere. What, we're, what's your opinion on what parents should know about how these two things have to live together, the symbiotic relationship? Where I see it meeting is how our students feel safe, just hmm. the, the presence of safety. And you put measures in place um, on physical security and safety so that your students, your staff, the building is safe and secure. And in turn, your staff and your students will feel safe by the measures that we have in place. That's our ultimate goal is we want every single student to feel safe. I was excited that we had even a student there last night mm-hmm. um, that, that asked some, some questions. And, and we asked questions of this individual, this student as, as well, because we always want that feedback to make sure that our students are in our She staff asked, are, what, is your, what are your safety officers doing? Yeah. Why, why are they there? How do I know that they're being impactful? And I think you mm-hmm. said, well, how do you feel? Right. And she said, I feel safe. Right. And you're mm-hmm. thumbs up. Yeah. And, but we want to take that representative. We want to take that another step further. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want relationships 
with officers and, and our students. Um, so they feel safe even on a different level. But that's where I, f- I, f- I feel that the, that the two intersect mm-hmm. is, um, is how the overall feeling of safety mm-hmm. is in, in everyone's mind. Kind of staying along those lines, one of the benefits of this podcast is I am admittedly an ignorant parent. I don't know about this stuff. I really don't. But I'm also sincerely curious about these things. Sometimes I'm a little embarrassed that I don't know as much as I should. And I think there are a lot of parents out there that probably know less than me and think I should know more. And we feel that same way about each other. So I went out and I did a little research on this subject, this horrible subject about school shooters. And I pulled up an FBI report that the uh, Director Free issued back in 2000, like 22 years ago. Uh, they, They talked about how to identify students that may be at risk for harming themselves or somebody else. And they said that some of the uh, things are that they have a sense of narcissism, an exaggerated or pathological need for attention, either good or bad, low tolerance for frustration, feeling depression, a fascination with violence-filled entertainment, uh, being in what they called uh, an injustice carrier, kind of uh, walking around with the woes of the community or civilization on their backs, no limits to monitoring internet and TV at home were just some of the personality traits and behaviors that perpetrators of violence against other children have in common. That was 20 years ago, and the internet ain't nothing back then like it is today. And I guess as parents, we should know that these phones are horrible and these social media platforms are even worse. And they they foster the exact same things, right? I mean, we know about girls looking at Instagram and all these studies and kids getting likes or not getting likes. From a technological standpoint, what are you doing inside the school to not allow this to happen or to limit it from happening? We have a lot in place because, again, this district's had technology for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, we're one of the first uh, districts, at least in the area, to go one-to-one. Um, What's that mean? One device per student. Oh, okay, good. Uh, a lot of districts just did it at the high school, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've been in this game a, a while now, um, and we've made modifications along the way. Um, we've communicated those uh, modifications, but a lot, of the, a lot of the access happens outside of our school day as well, right? Because these mm-hmm. devices are at home, and, and we know that. Um, so we have responsible use guidelines, right? We, we, we teach our students what's responsible. We have access to those guidelines so our parents understand so our staff understands um, what we expect of our students while they're using um, devices w- within um, the district. But we also don't give them access to, to many, many things mm-hmm. that we believe may be harmful to them. We can't control everything. What yeah. we hope is to have a partnership with our parents and that we all understand what those responsibilities are, both as a parent, a student, and an educator. And we're always looking to to improve those just because that that access that, that they do have. But some of those platforms can be good as well because our students monitor each other and they help each other. If they see a student may be in trouble, what we've seen historically, they try to, to, to help those those students. Um, and I think if you talk to, to Mr. Ramsey at the high school, he sees it and, and that those students are trying to, to help each other. And, and, and let somebody know. Molly, what do you think? I, I agree with Jeremy. I, I I don't think that technology in and of itself is evil. <laughs> I think it's how you use it and how we're 
teaching our students and we are trying to around the responsible use guidelines just around being responsible on social media but i you know it definitely does create some some problems and it's it is our responsibility with parents to talk to their students how are they using it what are they accessing it we have spent a lot of time over the years really trying to limit what each grade level sees as is you know age appropriate so I think we're doing a good job working on it, but I definitely think it is a collaboration with parents um, of what they're, you know, what they're letting their students or let their children access and then just conversations. I think there just needs to be a lot more dialogue with kids about what they're seeing or how they're feeling when they see something or, you know, if they don't get 50 likes in five minutes, yeah. how are you, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. And not having your value or your worth be dictated by your social media account. Yeah. I think that's really important, but we need parents to partner with us also. Are parents parents partnering? Some of them are, I, I would a, say. A, some, but I mean, when you think about the size of the population of parents, it doesn't sound like much. I think it's depending on the situation. You yeah. know, I, I, I think that our students, you know, um, I think it's just different for yeah. different families. Yeah. You know, when you're seeing, you have a lot of students that are coming in. Do you have a sense on how many students your group is is helping, not from the academic counseling standpoint, but from the mental, you know, social uh, standpoint? Do you have a sense of what that volume of unique students looks like or visitations or anything like that? I don't have an exact number. Mm -hmm. We definitely have all of that data that we keep, um, you know, that, that we can, we can look at and see. I would, I would say that I think over the last couple of years, that number has definitely increased. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you exactly or give you a percentage, but we're seeing a lot more students come in with issues. We talked about this last night around anxiety and depression and, you know, some social isolation, students still figuring out how to come out of the pandemic. Mm. Um, and so we've definitely seen an increase in, in those numbers. Why do you why do you think there's been an increase? I just I think that part of what we're seeing in our in our world in the community and the culture is is creating more anxiety for our students. I think social media is a part of it. I won't deny that. I do think that the pandemic played a part in it. We had students that you know through some of their more difficult years as as a teenager weren't around other teenagers. We have we have littles who didn't go to playgroups, who who were isolated at home when they are three and four, when they were never around other students. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that, you know, that contributes to it and exacerbated the issue. There's a lot of tension in the world. I think our students see that. They're, they're part of it. They see things that go on not only, you know, in our community, in our state, in our country. And so I just think that there's a lot that our students are dealing with. You know, a lot of them dealing with it great, but we're there to support them when, when there's issues. In our district, there's a lot of tension, or there has been a lot of tension for years between parents and the school district. We're having this conversation because that's one of the reasons tension has been going. No one's talking. Have you seen that tension come through parents into their children and into your offices? Uh, yeah, I, th I mean, some some of that, mm -hmm. I would I would say. Um, I don't know that that's particularly different. I mean, I think some kids always kind of what they're, you know, they hear what their parents talk about. They uh -huh. tend to kind of believe maybe what their parents believe. Um, I think, you know, when you're growing up, that's that's yeah. what you hear in your house. So I, I would say that, that that's part of it. I do think that 
A lot of our students, though, I see a pretty high level of tolerance and acceptance among each other mm-hmm. and able to maybe reconcile some differences better than maybe some of the adults. Yeah. Um, just because I think of a lot of what is going on in schools and the conversations we are trying to have. And yeah. I appreciate things like this where we're able to have a dialogue and try to get everybody talking because I think that's kind of the key. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I heard last night that we're developing a relationship with Dell Medical School. Why, why are we doing that? What is it? What, how's it? Uh, what's the point? Yeah. So there's an opportunity for us to provide some or access to counseling service for some of our students um, through Dell. And it's just a program that's started statewide. It allows students who there's a referral and the referral would come. There's a, you know, a student comes to us and is really concerning, concerning behavior. We'll work with the student, always work with the family. We would never do anything outside of um, permission with the family, but just allow them to access some direct counseling through the professionals that Dell is using. And then from there, the students, our students are able to access four counseling sessions and then Dell could maybe possibly decide that they need to refer them further. And so it's mm. just another layer of support. The other thing that's offered through Dell is that they do have some bilingual counseling that can happen, which we don't really have in our district. So mm. for our students who are um, in the ESL program mm. and families that are having trouble accessing maybe some of those resources, it's a nice resource for us to have also. It's one of those resources, like we talked earlier, that you would be directing a family to use in addition to what might be local? Yes. You mentioned about parents, like you would, parents would never not know what's going on relative to Dell. Are there situations where parents don't know what they're talking, what you're talking to their students about when they come to their office? And if there are, is there a limit to it? Do parents have access to that information? Um, obviously, I, I'm i not... That, what do you mean by access to that information? They, they could talk to the counselor and talk about what that... If, if their child went and saw the counselor, they could access... They could have that information. Talk to the counselor. What happened? Mm. I am not a trained counselor. Yeah. And so I, I want to be careful kind of, of of what I say in case I'm not completely accurate. But, you know, if, in, if indeed there was a situation in which a child was in danger of their family, then there would be other situations, other... Yeah you know, authorities we would have to bring in in situations like that. But our intention is never to keep information from the parents. It's to work with the parents and and help the the student. Yeah. You know, kind of in an era where a lot of parents feel that their rights are being challenged. And so there's so much information out there and kids can get educated in so many different uh, places. And so a lot of, I think in these last few years, certainly myself, have been kind of awakened to what is the school putting in front of my kids? And as I was listening last night and learning about uh, these the, the staff and what you guys are doing, I, I was honestly a little suspicious that while I was thankful that it was there and surprised that it was there, I was also a little like, oh, God, here's another thing that I have to be worried about inside the school that's going to be giving my kid information that I want to be giving them as a parent I don't want you doing that. And if they have a problem and they come to you, I want them to I want them to be directed back to me so I can deal with it at home short of abuse of terrible things like that. Should I be worried about this? I mean, I can't I'm I'm not I I won't uh, take any criticism for feeling this way, but 
I did. I felt a little suspicious. Like, oh, here we go. We got a big group of people inside that want to do, you know, hear the world's world woes, and keep my separate me from my kid when yeah. we have problems at home. Yeah. So I, you know, I'll honor that. That's how some of the parents may feel. You know, definitely that is is not our intent, and we want to be transparent with our parents. We want them to be involved. We want them to process all of this together with us. And so I would, you know always encourage a parent, you know, if they have any questions or concerns or if their child wants to see the counselor, it really needs to be a partnership. That mm-hmm. That's our goal. And our goal is not to have a student talking to us about things that they're not sharing with their, their families. But you have to understand sometimes students or kids, it may be hard for them to say something to their families that yeah. they can say to another adult. And we just want to be available for that. But that doesn't mean that we would exclude a parent from knowing what's going on with their student. But, you know, and sometimes we're a bridge. They're afraid to tell their parents something and we help in those situations. And so that's what I would hope that parents would take away is we're there to partner and be a bridge and to work together. Do parents have a right to ask the school district that you not talk to their child under normal circumstances, under, excluding yes. extraordinary circumstances. Under, or under normal cir- circumstances, um, they could ask that we don't we don't see their child. Just, but we would always say that if we have a child in crisis, we will always intervene. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, a question that came up last night was about the distribution of your resources. If I remember correctly, you have about six officers. Uh, or security personnel, two officers. And then four security personnel. Four security personnel. They're mostly concentrated physically at the high school. Questions, I asked a question, someone else asked it slightly different was, well, why do we have them there when these horrible incidents occur at where our most vulnerable are, and that's at the elementary school? Why do you have them all there and not distributed out? Well, for for one thing, elementaries are not primary targets for for these type of of incidents. Um, A number of them happen at any level. A lot of more recent prior to Uvalde had been secondary campuses. But when you you, when you put twenty eight hundred teenagers in in one building, you're going to have conflict. So I'll tell you right now that our school resource officers are not necessarily there for external threats and external conflicts they are there to serve a purpose and a lot of that comes with just internal conflicts between between students they we want them to be there for that resource now they can serve in any external threat that may come up but that's not their primary purpose there on campus and then our other security personnel besides the two school resource officers are there for many of the same reasons Uh, they're dealing with internal things most most of the day it's a very large campus um, which means we need four of them could we use more probably Mm -hmm. Um, and so we have many protocols in place and when you put a 500,000 square foot building and 2800 students in it um, there's personnel and there's things that they need to make sure get done um, each each and every day they have parking that they have to deal with we have hundreds of uh, high school students coming in to park we know how uh, how much of a parking issue we have at the high school. They manage that. Um, and so there's a lot of duties that we may not understand that those security personnel take care of at, specific to a high school campus. When it comes to elementaries, the one thing that I spoke upon last night was proximity. 
we have a luxury in our school district. The of, three P's, I think, <laughs> Jeff came up with. Yes, yeah. he did. Um, but I do think one of the important ones that I want to highlight is the proximity yeah, because right. our, our school district, we literally have six of our campuses within like five miles of each other. Huh. Um, and that's a, that's a really good thing. That's that's a value that, that we have, um, that if anything was to happen, any external threat, I am very confident that we would have the resources that we need in a matter of minutes, not if not seconds, mm-hmm. uh, because we have multiple jurisdictions in a very concentrated area um, that we have relationships with, um, and we continue to build those relationships. So I'm confident that we would we would have what we needed when we needed them, um, if anything was to occur at our elementary campuses. Speaking on how a response would go down. One parent last night at the town hall asked about the radio communication. Uh, You were clear that um, all the right people on the different campuses carry radios, Mm -hmm. either for, you know, cursory communication, uh, but also there to respond, especially if children are out in the field and something goes down, what to do with the kids. Uh, But there was a little bit of a discussion about uh, how connected it is is to the police departments. So is it literally um, a teacher calling 911 that would get it going? Or is there kind of a bat phone between any of the schools and the local law enforcement? Nothing directly with law enforcement. With any any uh, telephone, any mobile phone, you can get in contact with nine one one very easily, right? Yeah. And, and we know that that's our first step. Um, we we want them if they feel there's a threat, a danger, a crisis, call nine one one. We are notified administratively of any nine one one calls that go out, and we know where that call came from. You mean if someone in a in a classroom picked up their phone and dialed nine one one, you would know about it. The system this, would tell you immediately this number was used. Immediately, we we okay. we know that. So then we can start doing whatever you know we need to do came from. internally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that one call, it get it notifies us as a district administratively, so we start acting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, dispatch on 911 site is figuring out what they need to do with their resources. So one call gets all the resources kind of started moving towards whatever Before, we need to react. Yeah. Uh, that's reassuring. It's obviously high on people's mind because of the Ovalde tragedy. And another parent brought up well, it was was clear that if you could have more security, you would. You'd rather not rely on proximity as your response plan. You'd rather have folks there. And one parent asked a couple times about budget and how much would it cost. And and uh, uh, Dr. Arnett was, you know, polite and saying, "I don't know. It's for later discussion." And that's fine because that's how the school runs. But you hate to be in a situation where. Couldn't we do something right now? You know, isn't is there a short-term funding opportunity if parents got together, pulled together a few hundred thousand dollars or something like that to at least put personnel, you know, on these other campuses just for just for peace of mind or anything? And, and if you had the money, would you even use it that way? So that strategy alone is a conversation that we want to have both at the district level, but also include our trustees in, in that conversation uh, because it's important. Uh, is, it, uh, is it happening with the trustees right now? 
we have after, begin- after Ovalde, is it is it happening? Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of what's leading up to this. This is why safety and security was the first town hall meeting that we wanted to conduct uh, because of the conversations we've been having. We're not done yet. These conversations will continue. Yeah. Obviously, that one is a big discussion because there are budgetary constra- constraints. There's actually staffing constraints. Even if you wanted to hire SROs at every elementary, there's no guarantee that those are e- SROs even available because yeah. uh, our law enforcement is having staffing challenges um, as well. Uh, but that conversation is going to continue mm-hmm. um, o- over this fall throughout the entire school year. Um, on what strategies we want to move forward with. Is there any changes that we want to make to policy? Um, We will continue to have those conversations at a district level, but we want to have it at a board level as well. um, And those can uh, include our community. Something that stirred the audience last night was how you prepare our children for one of these terrible, terrible things and rehearsing lockdown, secure, different levels. And it came up about these videos that children are shown or have been shown or will be shown. And some parents in the room and continuing my, including myself said, whoa, 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 whoa. What are we going to show our kids a video about? Uh, you know, this is a life or death video. Are you showing them a video that's a cartoon that they're not going to take serious? Or are you scaring the heck out of the kids? Because um, I think about the other uh, information that the school district puts in front of our children that we have an option to understand, like sex education. You know, you, you're not putting anything sex ed in front of our children unless parents can review it in advance and understand it and can reinforce it back at home. What about these videos? And um, I think that was an outcome last night yeah. that the leadership heard like, whoa, this is something we have to deal with. Yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think the outcome of this of this meeting is that we acknowledge that that need, that want, and um, it, it's something that we want to provide. Um, I think it was a great comment, a uh, great point. Mm-hmm. Again, why we have these town halls is we want to get feedback from our community on what would help them as a parent. And then we can provide those 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 resources. Um, and so we will be doing that and putting that together and giving access, having access for, for our parents. Yeah, big plus. Who has guns? Who is allowed to shoot back? Currently, under state law and our current policies, only licensed registered peace officers are armed on our campuses. And we have two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very, it's controversial. I have no idea what the right answer is. I, yeah, I see it both ways. I don't want you know, teachers with guns, but then sometimes right. you think, God, if they had one. But the idea is about prevention, obviously, right? We want to prevent this terrible thing from happening. We want to prevent, you know, students from hurting themselves or, or one another. All right. So over the last many years, uh, we've watched young Americans crumble and, you know, transform into basket cases when they're triggered by the most benign issues, um, safe spaces, and everyone is easily offended. And there just seems to be a general weakness of character uh, has descended over, you know, probably two generations if you include the millennials. Parents uh, should be ashamed, at a minimum embarrassed, their children act like this, and they are certainly uh, partially to blame, of course. Uh, is our school district sowing these seeds too and reinforcing this behavior by providing so many, you know, mental health and social services Rather than telling children to just buck up, uh, have a stiff upper lip, get over it and move on, is there any way that the school, the district, is participating in the abject coddling of yet another generation? Yeah, I 
I think that really with what's going on in our society and with the students that we're, that we're serving right now, I think we're being responsive to what is happening. I do think that the pressures, social media, what is going on in the lives of students is very different than when I was in school, when other people were in school. And I really see it as being responsive to what is in front of us. Mm-hmm. Also, there has been historically a lot of mental health and a lot of mental illness that wasn't, it wasn't discussed. It was, you know, no one talked about it, eating disorders. It was, it was something that you as a family wanted to hide. And so I don't know that, you know, some of the, some of the people that didn't get help shouldn't have gotten help a long time ago. And so I think that what we- It may not be because they got too much of it. They didn't Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. So I think that we, I think that we are seeing a different generation that have grown up that are wired differently with the technology that they're seeing from a very early age. I think we're supporting them um, because that's who's coming to us. And I also think that the services are really more available and people are willing to talk about it. Um, so I think it's different. Yeah. But I, I I don't think that we are perpetuating behaviors that because of what we're doing to support the students. Yeah. Uh, on a previous episode I had with uh, Coach uh, Tony Salazar, I asked him about how coaches play a father figure in many young men's lives. And... That's been true for all time, I think, for sure. It's not a new thing. Uh, But I asked him if he felt that there was more of that need today than 20 years ago or so. And he said, yes, he does think there seems to be more of a need for parents or for children to get more of a a father figure or a parental figure in a coach. Do you think there's uh, parents or, you know, I don't want you to say they're not doing the job at home, but you know what I mean. Are you seeing more things coming to you that really should be what parents are dealing with? I think there's a degree of that. I, you know, I think that we have seen, you know, parents just trying to make sure they've, they've, feel really supportive of their children. And sometimes that leads them to have a difficult time saying no, or really think that the school, that it's the school's responsibility. Mm. I, I do feel as a school system, I've been in Eanes ISD now for 23 years. I do see that parents, not all of them, but some of them abdicate some of their responsibilities mm. to us. They want us to be the ones educating about certain things or saying what's right or wrong. Mm. It's a, it's tricky because some things that then we are asked to do, other parents would say, like, don't ever don't do ever that, do yeah. you know. And so we're trying to figure out that balance. But, you know, I think I think it's I think there's some of that for sure. Why don't we end this interview on you telling us what you have seen positive in the growth of the the district over those 23 years now as opposed to when you started? You know, I um, have always loved working in Eanes. I started off as a teacher. I think what I've seen, and it hasn't ever changed, is the commitment and just partnership of our families and our parents. That's always been one of the best things. I worked in a district where I before where I didn't have that. And so having that community support, I think, is amazing. 
We, over the years, have put so much time and energy into building our teachers and supporting our teachers. I'm very proud of that. When I get asked, you know, when you interview someone and then you say, do you have any questions? And they always say, what, you know, why do you want to, why should I work here? And I'm like, because you're going to get supported. You're going to get professional development that makes you a better teacher. I think that's one of the things we've done amazingly well. My background is in special education. When I look at the inclusive programming that we have, we are a unified champion school through Special Olympics. We have for the uh, the, for the disabled. Yeah, yeah. for Mm -hmm. students with disabilities, we have a ton of different um, inclusive programs. That's something I'm very, very proud of. So I just think as a district, you know, we've always come together. We've always supported each other. While there are definitely, you know, staffing issues everywhere. We are very, very fortunate in this district that we're we're pretty staffed this year. We're pretty full and other districts don't have that luxury. And I think that that Eans, you know, magic, I think sort of still attracts people to come to be with us because they know it's a good district. The Hicks and the Sticks (laughs) out here at Eans. Yeah, it is a special place. No question about it. If that's anything I've learned by doing this podcast being an outsider coming here, this is really, really a special uh, school district. And I thank both of you sincerely as a parent for everything you're doing to keep our kids safe. I wish you the best of luck and thank you for your time today. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm joined uh, today with a parent that was in the room at the town hall meeting on safety. Uh, Mr. Brad Shields, welcome. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. Um, Thank you for taking the time. One of the uh, things I wanted to make sure I did uh, for the podcast this year is when we covered a town hall, uh, the nice folks from the school district, Mr. Trimble and Mrs. May, came on and did an interview talking about how the town hall went. But I always want to get a perspective from a parent in the room. And until uh, that evening, I'd never met you before, and and we don't know each other, so this makes it even better. So tell me, what did you learn at the safety and security town hall meeting that you didn't know before? Well, yeah, as someone that's grown up in this district and this community for a long time, I was really pleased to see this this Dr. Arnett, his administration, try something fresh and something new by having Mm -hmm. events like this. I know it sounds like he's got a variety of town halls scheduled for the rest of the school year and some other community events to get more engagement. So I definitely learned that they're they're trying new things to to reach the community. But I also learned that this district's doing a whole lot more in the category of school safety and mental health than I ever knew. And I think a lot of parents learned that same thing that night. Some of these things were were implemented, you know, several years ago. Some of them have been going on over the summer based on some directives from the government and TEA and the governor's office and the school safety center. Based on the timeline they shared, Jeremy and, and Molly and their staffs, it seems like a lot of this has started prior to any any audits being required or any kind yeah. of physical requirements being checked. But I, I learned that there was a lot of folks in the room that cared about these topics. I think it would be nice to, to see those the audience grow. Um, it was somewhat timely in that there was a, an incident or Cedar Creek and Hill Country prior to this town hall. So I think that piqued a lot of folks' interest. Yeah, the, um, the non-incident incident. Correct. There was a, a false alarm um, called in. So I agree with you. I was, uh, as a parent, I was taken aback at just how deep the mental health services were. I brought up to Molly 
uh, Mrs. May in my interview that it almost felt like there was a clinic inside the district, like a mental health clinic. And I was surprised that for all the years I've had students in the district, I've never heard about this. I found that kind of curious. Did that strike you as odd a little bit that it was so deep and wide from the mental uh, safety standpoint? Yeah, I, I never really knew that there were so many counselors and psychologists and therapists that were at all of these campuses. I guess I was I was interested to know that every every elementary school and middle school has a, a psychologist and a counselor and a part-time therapist, but that was new information to me. I didn't under I didn't know that we had so much uh, dedicated staff to that. And obviously, high school probably has more, and the middle school has more than the elementary school. But yeah, that was not anything that I ever knew that we had on staff here. They also talked a lot about physical security. Mr. Trimble uh, went into that um, extensively, and on the heels of the Uvalde tragedy, I think it's top of mind with a lot of parents. Are the kids safe? What did you come away feeling? Uh, were you reassured? Did you feel there was still some opportunity for them to do things, maybe things faster? What What did you feel? Well, I, I think after listening to a board meeting a few weeks before that or a few months before that, and after listening to the town hall, I was pretty impressed with the, the rundown of all the things that have been put in place. And it sounds like there's more coming. But when we got to meet Brent Kelly you know, and now we have a Matt Greer. We've got two school safety experts that are directors that are dedicated to this. And I was very, I felt very comfortable knowing that there's two of these directors mm-hmm. and they're covering different parts of the district. So it's not somebody sitting in the admin building, you know, making the rounds. It's, it's two, two people dedicated to this and a team of people below them that are prioritizing this. So it, I was, I was felt, I felt more comfortable after hearing the presentation. Yeah. I got the sense that there's more security that they would like to do, uh, physical and human security. Do you recall, um, one parent in particular brought up a couple times, you know, what are we waiting for? Can't we just raise the money as parents and, and fund officers or security officers at the elementary schools or, you know, make it deeper, make the bench deeper? And what was your thought about that question and just the, the obvious um, admission that there's more they could be doing. Well, that was one of my key takeaways from that evening was the conversation around school resource officers. And we've got a lot of staff that are working on, you know, being directors, but I do recall that conversation and it sounds like it's a, you know, a resource issue, maybe a budget issue. But I was, I think a couple of parents I heard even talking afterwards were saying, well, what do we need to do to, to fund this now and not wait till, a future school year and a future budget. And that's one of the conversations I hope continues to happen in the short term is if people are making pledges, why can't a school resource officer be added to every campus soon as opposed to waiting for, for a longer budget review? Yeah, I thought, I thought potentially this might be a place for EEF to maybe direct or restrict, depending on your, your lens, uh, monies toward these resource officers to fill that gap. I mean, we certainly need teachers and, and EEF spreads their money over lots of different types of folks in addition to teachers. I thought that might be a creative idea or, you know, getting volunteers or, you know, just kind of anything. I, I just felt there should be some creativity around solving that short-term issue so parents can sleep 20 or 30 minutes longer at night knowing that that's going on. Right. And that, and those, those, those resource officers could be at every campus and not just a high school. And I know, I know every campus has got someone dedicated to security, 
But I think what was what was missing from that conversation is what are the plans to have a school SRO at every single campus? So I, I hope that continues that dialogue. And and I think that's a perfect opportunity for EEF to go out and do a, you know, a, a specific campaign around that one topic. Yeah, gotcha. Looking forward, what topics would you like to see discussed at these town halls or at these private dinners? I know they have, he announced that the library books are coming up next in November. And then in the winter, a session, a town hall on DEI, and then closer to the spring about budget, because they are starting to talk about the uh, the bond word. Are there other topics you thought that um, if you, you know, could suggest that uh, Mr. Arnett consider taking up? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, kudos to Dr. Arnett for having those items you mentioned on these upcoming town halls, because I think, you know, depending on what side of that those topics you're on, I think that's what's driving a lot of the community conversation. And instead of having that dialogue only take place at a board meeting where parents don't necessarily get a chance to ask questions and get into a dialogue, I think it's great that he's picked those categories for the fall and the spring, because I think that's a lot of what people are talking about. So, yeah. But in terms of new ideas, so much of what drives the public education system is the state legislature, and they're going to be meeting in the spring as they do every other year. I would love to have a future town hall dedicated to what the legislature is looking at and considering and what ultimately what they pass for, for future school years. And I think it would be great to have parents get a better understanding of what's to come based on the legislature before it goes into effect. Yeah. I agree. I think the topics that he's got lined out are pretty good. It takes a lot of courage, for example, to tackle library books because uh, that's a hot one. And I think it would be easy to shrink from that one because there's it is hot. You know, good leaders, great leaders are willing to, you know, take these types of risks because there's just too much at risk not to take a risk <laughs> in a way and to hit some of these topics. And I agree the legislative idea um, we're going to have a, uh, an episode or two uh, focused on legislative priorities and trying to educate parents on that as well. So um, I would love to see them pick that up as well. That's a good one. Well, Brad, I really appreciate you being here with us uh, today. Was there anything in particular you'd like to leave us with as a parent that you'd like other parents listening to uh, to know about? Well, yeah, again, thanks for having me on. I think I, I would just want to, to make sure that our community knows these town halls are going on and, and spread the word and promote the attendance of them. I'd I'd love to see the room packed with parents for whatever topic it is. And, and I know everyone's got obligations with kiddos and sporting events and personal things on their calendar, but with enough advance notice, it would be great to have a lot of folks in there. And again, I think it's refreshing that this is intended to be a dialogue between staff at the districts, Dr. Arnett, his directors, as well as the, the, the parents. Rarely have I seen an opportunity where, where the questions from the parents were the majority of the meeting. So I think, yeah. I think this district and this community should take advantage of this venue. And Aaron, I know you and I met that night, but as you saw that, you know, the, the meeting ended and people continued to talk and people went up to the district yeah. staff and, and kept asking questions. So, you know, I, I think we should help this momentum continue. And I would love to see more of these and more people at them and, and pack the place because yeah. this is not something we've had an opportunity to do at, at a traditional board meeting. So, this is a great way to create that conversation. Excellent sentiments. I couldn't agree more. We'll end on that. Mr. Shields, thanks for joining Ean's Parents Unite. I appreciate it very much and, and good luck to you and hope we'll talk to you again in the future. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
Thanks for joining us on the Eans Parents United podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Eans Kids First, ensuring that Eans prioritizes our children's well-being, honors parental rights, and unites our incredible community. To learn more about our mission or to donate to our cause, please visit us at eanskids.com. That's E-A-N-E-S kids.com. If you would like more information about this podcast, contact me directly or give us any feedback, feel free to visit our website at eanspodcast.com or eansparentsunite.com. Thank you.